you have problems waiting? It's hard to wait for things you get excited for, isn't it? I've always had that problem. I mean, I get excited. When I was a little kid, it was birthdays, right? And Christmas. Again, you can get pretty excited about those things. Remember when, you know, certain movies come out. Now, today, you know, you hear that movies are going to come out and people will, you know, stay at the, go, go early. They'll go spend all night, lose their sleep to see Star Wars. These days, by the way, I don't think the Star Wars movies are worth it. You can, get, can't, you can sleep, sleep through the movie, right? Um, but but the people would do that kind of stuff. When I was younger, Joe, Virginia, you remember this. It used to be like you, would, you didn't, you know, if you had a movie that hadn't been seen, it had been, on, it had been in the theaters, but it hadn't been seen otherwise, and it comes on television, that's exciting. You guys remember that, right? That was exciting. Like we used, this is the other thing. We didn't play organized sports that much. We would play out in the, you know, front yard. We'd play baseball, football, basketball. Mom and dad come and say, hey, it's time for dinner. And then you all say, oh, I got to see you later. I'll come back out when I'm done. And then you go and you go, go in to eat your dinner. And then Sound of Music came out. Never been on television before. Nobody's out playing. Remember the Ollie Frazier fight, the first one. It was close circuit. Remember that, Rex? And everybody, everybody was there. You go out in the streets. Nobody's out playing because everybody's going to see this event. And I remember counting the days for those events. Oh, I can't wait. I've heard it's going to be out. We can't wait. We get, we get excited about stuff like that, don't we? We just, well, I can't wait for this event to take place. We can't wait to get married. We're engaged. We can't wait to get married. Can't wait to have kids. Can't wait for those kids to grow up. Can't wait to have grandkids. Can't wait for their, you know, and these things go on and on. People are always talking about the things they can't wait for. One thing that people can wait for, what is it? It's death. We're not, that's one thing we're not hurrying about is death. Just hold that one off. And yet we're going to see today that when we're in a relationship with Jesus Christ, even as we're waiting for this coronavirus to end, and it will, one of the things that's really driving this thing is people are afraid of death. But if we're in a relationship with Jesus Christ, we should be kind of anxious, can't hardly wait, for the day when we enter heaven. And we're going to actually be talking about that today as we continue in our series on, on Romans chapters 5 through 8. We're going to be talking about the power of the gospel and we're going to be talking about glory in heaven. We're going to be talking about hope in the future glory of heaven. Next week, we're going to move on to the last in our series, last, section, last passage in our series, which will be Romans chapter 5, verses 31 through 39. And that is going to be talking about how God will never stop loving us. Very celebrative passage. So I encourage you to read it in advance and come to hear about it next week. But follow along with me today as we read about the hope in our future glory that we have found in Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 30. For I consider that the suffering of this present time The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, 
who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is not is seen is not, set, is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So this is, he's talking about hope and future glory. And specifically in this first section, verses 18 through 25, he talks about the sufferings of today versus the glory of tomorrow. The sufferings of today versus the glories of tomorrow. The first word he starts with is for. And for draws us back to what he was talking about last week. And really this chapter of eight, chapter 8. Chapter 8 is, one of the, is really the pivotal chapter of the whole book. It's like the hinge that the door turns on. And it's a powerful, powerful chapter. Remember when it begins, we learned that when we come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit literally comes to indwell us. And he is the one who empowers us to live the Christian life. As we set our minds on him, he will empower us to serve God. That's exciting in and of itself. But we learned last week that because of this, we have been adopted as God's children and that we will inherit the kingdom of heaven. But he ends by saying that if our faith is sincere, we will go through some sufferings on earth. And that will just show that we really are committed to him and we really do know him. And then in the end, it ends and it says, and then we will be glorified. This first sentence of this next section talks about glory. And the last word is glorified. Guess what the theme is? Right? I mean, it makes it pretty easy for us this time. The theme is, is pretty straightforward. This is talking about glorification. But what in the world is glorification? Glorification, in the simplest terms, is when our bodies are resurrected with Jesus Christ in heaven. That's what he's talking about. And so he says, as we go through these sufferings, they will prove that we will one day be with God in heaven. And then he says, by the way, these sufferings, as bad as they are, as we get into verse 18, he says they, they don't compare with the joy and the power and the presence of God, all the things that we're going to celebrate when we get in heaven. No comparison. It's going to be so much better that you can't even imagine it. Um. He says the same thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. He says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Some of the struggles that we're going through right now with the coronavirus and all the panic and all the different things that people are struggling, it's a light and momentary affliction that is preparing us for the future glory. Now, he goes on and he says, he gives an example. He, he gives a an illustration, so to speak. He talks about creation. And then when he talks about creation, he's not talking about us. I mean, we're part of creation, but if you follow what he's saying, he's talking about kind of the world and all the things apart from humans, all the things that we know that we would call creation. And he says, 
creation, he talks about creation kind of poetically, as if creation was a person. And he says, an example of suffering in the world the way it is presently is just look at the world around you. He says it's, basically, he says it's falling apart. It's groaning. It's, it's disappointed. It's subjected to futility. And it can't wait for things to change. In fact, creation is eagerly longing, in Greek, it's craning its neck to see the day when we arrive in heaven. It can't wait because creation knows that when that day comes, all of its suffering will end. But at present, this world is falling apart. Have you figured that out? This world is falling apart. Scientists call it entropy. It's part of the second law of thermodynamics. You know what that is, scientifically? Everything's falling apart. That's what science teaches us, is everything is basically gradually falling apart. I can prove that to you. I am a fulfillment of prophecy. <laughs> the outer body is decaying, right? You know, I mean, that is what's happening to us, and it happens to everything around us. What is it that we know that's living that isn't dying? Guess what? That includes planet Earth. And we have all these arguments, and everybody's so upset about global warming, and certainly we should, and things like that, we should be good stewards of this planet. God has given it to us. We should take care of what we have. That's very, very important. At the same time, no matter what we do, this is the balance, it's going to die. It's falling apart. And you know, that can be, be a real hopeless thing for us when we look at it just at that perspective. And the perspective of secular scientists is they believe annihilation. They believe that when the world ends, it ends. This is, that's all there is. And this world is going to be destroyed one day. And that's their only hope. But not from God. In fact, prophecies going back as far as Isaiah chapter 65 verse 17 says, Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. This is what the Jewish people held on to in their theology, that there would be a new heaven and a new earth one day. And that's how the Bible ends in chapters 21 and 22, talking about a new heaven and a new earth. God is going to create something beautiful out of this planet one day. I think that's one of the reasons why we're so fascinated with remodel TV programs and that kind of stuff. We want to fix everything. We want to make everything good. And ourselves, we want to make ourselves look better and so forth. Because it's going to happen. It's planted in you. You have an insatiable desire to see everything fixed up, including yourself. Perhaps yourself first, most, for, first and foremost. And that's because I think God just put it there because it's going to happen. That's part of the plan. He's going to fix it for those of us who are in Christ. And so he says the earth, you know, it, it's looking forward to that day when everything gets better, when it's set free from its bondage and its corruption, and it sees that, you know, the children of God um, cross the threshold of heaven. And in the meantime, it's, it's groaning, and here's an example of it. It's groaning is like a woman in childbirth. I have never gone through childbirth personally. But I've twice been with my wife through childbirth. I, I know this. Childbirth is not a pleasant experience. It's painful and it's difficult. And the women I've talked to, I've never heard a woman say, oh, yeah, that was so much fun. They don't say that. But guess what happens? And this is rare. I mean, there are exceptions. But almost every woman I talk to after that first child, one of the things that they say is, boy, I think I'd like to have another. And I'm like, crazy. How could that be? But the thing is, is because it's such an extraordinarily beautiful experience. It's the most incredible ex physical experience, perhaps, that anybody could have on earth. Heaven, now understand this, earth 
right now is going through childbirth. And when it gets, and so everything's kind of, it's not comfortable and it's painful for the planet and for creation. But it will give birth to new heaven and new earth. And a time of celebration, and a time of victory, and a time of eternal fulfillment. Okay, and so that's, that's the stage that we have set for us here um, in the Bible that he's talking about. And then he gets down and he says, it, it's going to be hard for us even. You know, we're groaning. We have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit in us. The first fruits are the first fruits that um, people would give the first and most valuable of their produce to God, you know, as a sacrifice in the Old Testament. And so he's saying that God has given us special gifts and abilities. He's given us first fruits that we give back to God. And so we are growing in our relationship with God and we are contributing to God in ministry and we can't wait to get to heaven. And we're not there yet. And it says that we've, we, we're going to be adopted, but we're, what's happened? Are we adopted or are we not? Are we heirs or are we not? And it's an already not yet passage. A lot of those in the Bible. Already, not yet. In other words, you, if you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ, you've been adopted. If you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are an heir to heaven. You are going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. Pretty cool stuff. But, not yet, you're not going to experience it until you cross the threshold of heaven. Make sense? So we're in kind of a waiting phase. And that's what we're talking about. Waiting can be fun, but it can be hard. We're waiting for that day when it all comes together. In the meantime, there's a lot of work that still needs to be done. And so we're doing that until he calls us there. And and as we look at it, we understand that it's a hope. And a hope is something you cannot see. If you can see a hope, it's not a hope. So when the day comes, we'll know. God will make it clear to us. Now, I don't know who this guy is, but I got this quote that I thought was sort of interesting. His name is F.J. Leinhardt. And he says this, The present and visible can be understood only in the light of the future and invisible. Now, just think, that's one of those things you got to think about about five times and say, what did he just say? But in our present life, where we're at right now, all we can understand is what we can see, right? That's all we know. But in the future, we're going to have more light. And that which is today invisible will be visible. You'll understand this all with clarity when you get there, is what he's saying. Right now, we just don't know for sure. A couple of years ago, we decided we needed to do something with our narrow galley kitchen. Anybody have narrow galley kitchens? Ours is narrow, and it's hard to get around, and injuries every once in a while running into people, kind of going back and forth, and then it, then the, it holds all the smoke, and then the, fire, the alarm goes off, and the dog's ears go up and starts yelping and runs out of the room and all sorts of stuff. So, so we got to do something about this. It just gets really hot in there. And we realized we could tear out part of the wall, open it up, and take care of the problem. So after much consideration, talking to a bunch of people, we took it out. Not that big of a deal. We didn't count on the fact that there were tile underneath that were now destroyed. So that's okay. We'll replace the tile. We didn't have any tiles to replace them with. Well, that's okay. You know, Home Depot will have them. No. Lowe's will have them. No. Don't worry. Amazon's got this. Amazon didn't have it, see, because it wasn't on the market anymore. They do that on purpose, did you know? And so now we had to go out and get something else. We had to do our whole floor over again. So we ended up going out and getting this prefabricated wood, and George, our, our handyman who helps us with our Airbnb, we had him put it in for us and ended up in kind of a minor remodel, 
And you know what? It was miserable. I mean, we're walking around with sheets of plastic around the house and wood floors, and then they thought they found dry rot, and it smells, and there's sawdust over everything, and I, I thought that was you know, something I put on my food, but it wasn't, you know, and, and it just, it's, it, and it was miserable, dusty, but you know what, it got finished, and we really like it, and now I even forget about it, I had to rehearse in my mind, hey, that wasn't very enjoyable, but you know what, it, it's almost like funny now, it doesn't really seem like that big of a deal, I mean, it was months, but it isn't that big of a deal now, when you get to heaven, those things that seem like such a big deal today, like what we're going through with the coronavirus or other things in your life, the struggles you're having in a relationship or with your health or with your job, it's not going to even matter. You'll forget about most of it that it ever even happened because you're going to be so caught up with the beauty of heaven and the surroundings and the people there and the God of the universe in whose presence you'll be. All these things will seem like nothing. That's what he's saying here. Now, the second thing is, is what are we going to do in the meantime, though? I mean, we're not there yet, so how do we get through this thing? The second thing is the Spirit assists us in our present state, verses 26 through 28. The Holy Spirit will help us in our weakness. Our weaknesses is that, as we've learned, is that we have a, a nature that is sinful. We, have, we go back to chapter 6, and we see that we're not really such good stuff. Even after we come to know Christ it's still natural for us to do the wrong things. If we don't keep our minds on the Holy Spirit, we're in trouble, right? So we have got to walk with him, and it's really hard to do, and it's hard to figure out even what God wants us to do sometimes. The Holy Spirit, though, will help us. The biggest area for him to help us in, he gives an example, and at first maybe it seems like a random example, but I don't think it is. What's the most important thing that you can do in your life, basically? Pray. I think it's talking to God. You don't always have your Bible with you, but hopefully you have it memorized and that becomes part of the conversation. You've got to talk to God. That's the basic, basic, basic. That's the one thing you can do no matter where you're at. If they, you go into a, you know, you're taking a prisoner or something or you're in the hospital and you're sick or whatever, you can always pray. You can always talk to God and it's the most important thing you can do. And so what he says is, in that area, the Holy Spirit, for example, will help you even when you pray. And I don't, I'll tell you what, I don't really know how to pray. I don't know anybody really, I mean, I do and I don't. I mean, it's one of those things that I never feel like I pray enough or I pray well enough, but I sure do like talking to God. And for me, it's basically, I just talk to him as I would talk to you. And I learned different things from the Bible that helped me and enhanced me. One of the things I've been learning lately, you know, that prayer is just so important. I've actually been fasting. I've had some friends tell me about fasting. and I've always been really gifted in feasting. Um, but I've tried fasting, and it's actually good. I find like when I fast, I pray more clearly. You know, my mind clarifies, and it, it causes me to be more dependent on God. I don't do it a lot, but I do it every once in a while. And, and I found that to be helpful. I think prayer is just one of the most important things we can do. And I really, I really want to encourage you, even before we go into what the Holy Spirit does for us, I want to encourage you to be people who pray. You should be praying when I'm speaking. You should be praying as you walk through the day. We're going to be doing more prayer, like in our small groups. We're going around. Uh, we did a prayer, prayer night with our group. We're going to try doing some other prayer nights with groups. Just pray for maybe a half hour. We'll have a guide thing to walk us through that but we want you to be praying. Sunday mornings, we're going to be meeting over here. We did this morning around 9.30. Um, if you get here at 9.30, if that's not too early for you, 
come over here and pray with us. Just for 15 minutes or so. We gather and pray after we put up all the chairs every Sunday morning. If anybody wants to pray through the service, let me know. We can even have a couple people praying during the service time. Uh, we're hoping when we get the building eventually that we'll, we'll have a prayer, maybe designate a, a lunchtime that we can pray weekly for people that want to come. We're looking for, looking for opportunities to pray. Um, we've got some people that are on our prayer team. We don't have a lot of people here today, but I know Randy and, and the um, Calhouns are here. You guys maybe just raise your hands. You guys know who these guys are. I don't know if there's anybody else that I talked about, but those are guys that can pray with you. They pray a lot. They're on our prayer team. If you want to know who do, who do we go to pray with, those are some people besides myself and Mitch and Clifton. But make sure that we're praying. If you're interested in more prayer, come and see me. But we're, we're going to up that because I think this is a good time to do it. I think we need to be praying more. But how do we pray? Like I say, it's hard. Sometimes I get to a situation, have you ever been there, where you just don't know what to pray? I've, I've been in some pretty rough spots, you know, where I'm, people, I, I don't know what to pray for people. I don't know how to get out of this. I don't know what to pray. But the Holy Spirit will pray for us. I think it's assumed that our sins are, are right, that, are, that we've confessed our sins and our hearts are pure before God. And we really genuinely want to do what's right, but we're just having trouble figuring it out. And the Holy Spirit, it says, will enable us to do it. The Holy Spirit will sort of interpret it almost like a foreign language to God so that we get over what it is that we're trying to say and align it with God's will. An interesting thing here is the word groanings really adds light to this. The word for groanings literally means unspoken or wordless. Unspoken or wordless. So what does that mean? It means silent. And the groanings is probably not a good translation. Groanings is not a good translation because really it means that the Holy Spirit isn't heard. The Holy Spirit silently and imperceptibly prays through our souls. We don't hear him, but he's helping us silently and imperceptibly, and we don't even know he's doing it. Pretty cool, huh? And then he renders what it is that we're praying for is just according to the will of God. God always answers in the affirmative when the Holy Spirit is praying through us. Why? Because it's God's will. Why would the Holy Spirit always pray according to God's will? Because he is God. You know, the Bible says that there's one God, but repeatedly is he described, as he is in this chapter, especially as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All three have all the attributes of God, and yet there's one God. We can't understand it. We can only explain what's being said. There's one God who has eternally existed as three co-equal persons. God manifests himself as three eternally co-equal persons. That's what we see. And so when the Holy Spirit prays on our behalf, it's exactly what God wants. God makes sure that he helps us. So we don't have to worry about it. We, in other words, do the best you can. Don't worry about it. And the Holy Spirit will help us along the way and make sure that it works out just the way it's supposed to when we pray. By the way, just for information, sometimes this passage is used to talk about uh, as almost a... Uh, uh, foolproof text to explain um, speak, praying in tongues. Uh, and that comes out a lot. Uh, the ability to pray in a heavenly language for those of you that aren't familiar with it. I'm not disputing that as much as I am that I, I don't think this passage is talking about that. And the reason why is because he prays silently. 
so you wouldn't hear anything. And the other reason why is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 30 says that only some people pray in tongues. And this passage says that the Holy Spirit prays in everybody's life. So I don't think this is the text for that, though some people have used it. Um, but that's, that's another issue here. He goes on down from there, and he, he sa- summarizes it with one of the most famous, most comforting, and most misunderstood verses in all the Bible. And that's verse 28. And verse 28 gets really, people get really confused with verse 28. Um, there's actually a couple translations for it. They're very, very close. The translation that is here in the English Standard Version that we're using, um, from what I understand, it's one of several that is generally considered to be about the most accurate you can get. So we'll bounce off of this one. But it says, um, it says that we know, that basically it says that we know that everything works out to good, for our good because of God. We hear that all the time, right? And this can be misunderstood. My grandfather was a songwriter. Uh, he used to write music. And he was not a Christian when he was writing these things. It was secular music. But he had a little ditty that summarizes this whole background. He used to sing this song, play his piano, sing this song. Everything happens for the best, so we know. From the time we're born till we grow very old. The truth of the matter is so plain to see. So, why didn't you fall in love with me? You see the problem, though? It just it summarizes the problem. Everything works out for good until it doesn't. And then how do you explain it? And, and is it that God doesn't really have control? What's going on here? How come it didn't work out? Well, I'll explain it to you. It's right here in the passage. It works out for good to those who love God, to those who are in a relationship with him. I can guarantee you, if you're not in a relationship with God, it will not turn out for your good. In fact, at the end, you will live in eternal separation from God in hell. So it doesn't work out for your good if you don't know God. If you do know God, you need to also understand that it's according to his purpose, not according to yours. So you may think it doesn't work out because that was my goal for my life but it wasn't what God's goal was for your life. And God knows you better than you know yourself. He loves you more than you love yourself, and he knows what's best for the whole situation. So his purpose is what we have to keep in mind. What's most important is the purpose of the living God, not so much our purpose, but we can sometimes you know, kind of get off on that. Um, but God works it together. He weaves it together in ways we don't understand. I love the illustration that when we go to heaven, we'll look up and we'll see this, this big, ugly mat and all these strings hanging from it. And then we'll get on the other side and we'll look down and we'll see a beautiful tapestry that God has put together. See, God puts this tapestry, tapestry together for us and it's, it's absolutely beautiful. And that's what he's doing. He's weaving all the pieces together for the good of the kingdom of God. And he's using us in the process. And sometimes we don't always understand it. But it's interesting that even on planet Earth, we can look back and usually say, oh, I I get it now. I didn't get it then, but I get it now. Um, Keeping in line with my grandfather's song, I'll give you an illustration that hopefully will help this. When I was a sophomore in college, I took my first speech class. And I did pretty well, because I didn't know that, but that was kind of the direction I was heading in at the time. And they asked us to introduce ourselves and tell us something about ourselves. So I thought I'd be very bold, and I said, I was a follower of Jesus Christ. And this little gal said she was a follower of Jesus Christ. And, you know, we did this for a couple weeks. And then as I would walk to class each day, I had a real nice walk that I would intentionally go by the tower. There's a tower and a big fountain at San Jose State. The tower's 
really kind of this old majestic tower with all this ivy around it. So I'd walk by there. But every time I'd turn the corner, there'd be this little gal. And then she'd walk with me the rest of the way. Next thing you know, I had my first girlfriend. The deal was, is she was a little gal, and she played cello. And I've always felt there was an ulterior motive here. Because guess who carried that cello? (laughs) But anyway... Um, we had this class together, and this was really a, a beautiful thing, so I thought. lasted two months. We took Christmas break, and she uh, took up with another guy who wasn't a Christian, and that was it. And I remember thinking, this is horrible. God, how could you allow this to happen to me? You know, this lady now needs to get her life right with you. She needs to get out of this relationship, and she needs to get back with me. So, I mean, I prayed that forever, it seemed like, and eventually let it go. You know, you just let it go. And then about seven months later, I met my wife. She's 10 times more pretty. She was a committed believer. She had so much more in common with me. We could talk so much easier together. And I didn't have to carry her stinking cello. <laughs> so, so you can see God's will in this matter, right? So, um, but, but isn't that funny how a lot of times from our perspective, we say, God, why aren't you doing this? And then later you look back. Sometimes you won't see this, but often you'll look back and say, oh, I'm so glad that my plans didn't work out. I can see now your purpose. Let's look at this last thing. God is in the process of glorifying us. God is in the process of glorifying us. Um, he says, he has five words and they're all in some ways pretty synonymous, um, they are described by theologians as the golden chain. And he's talking about the process that we go through. The Holy Spirit's going to help us, but what is going on in our hearts that God is doing to prepare us for heaven? First thing it says is that he foreknew us. And that's a word that's probably the most misunderstood. In Greek, the word can mean know intimately or have regard for But you have to look at the context and you have to look at how it's used elsewhere in the Bible. In the Old Testament, this word is basically always used when it's talking about how God chose his people Israel. When we get to Romans chapter 11, verse 2, the same word is used to explain that he chose Jacob and rejected Esau. Later on, the same word is used by Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 2 and verse 20 where he talks about how he chose people for the church and he chose the son of God for ministry. The word is best translated that he has chosen us beforehand. That's what the word literally means in Greek. And then he goes on and it's like because God has made this choice beforehand, he has also made a plan beforehand. He's predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son that we are going to become like Jesus. Our bodies will be like his body was when he was resurrected from the dead. What is that going to be like? Do you remember some of the things that happened with Jesus when he was resurrected from the dead? I mean, he had this glorified body. He looked good. Man, I'm looking forward to this. I hope they have mirrors in heaven because I want to look good. No. But you, know, you, you, but you do, you, you're going to be looking better, you're going to be feeling better. You know, all those things that he has, he, he was left, you remember he rose, rose up in the air, and amazing stuff. So, wow, that's, that's pretty heavy. That's neat there. And then it says that um, Jesus will no longer be the only child. Did you catch that? He's now going to be the firstborn among many kids. He's going to be our big brother as well as our Lord. 
And then, if we've been predestined, we have been called. And if we have been called, we've been justified. Now we're going back to courtroom terms, which says that we are now seen as righteous before God. And so, because we're righteous before God, we enter in and we become part of his kingdom. Pretty exciting stuff, wouldn't you say? Exciting stuff. It bothers us some, though. I mean, it does bother people. They say, well, how could God choose us? Because the whole first part of this book is about us entering into salvation by faith. And now, all of a sudden, it says he chooses us. What is it saying? In short, it's saying that on my side, I enter by faith. On his side, he chooses. I can't explain it. It's one of those things, just like trying to explain about the Holy Spirit. It, it just transcends us, and it works. Where those two intersect, I can't explain it. I can't tell you, but I know what I'm supposed to do. And I don't, I don't get hung up on it. You know, God makes a choice. Why shouldn't he make a choice? He created us. He gets to do what he wants to do. If you have a birthday party, what if I was to tell you you need to invite absolutely every person you know to every birthday party or any party you ever have? What would you say? No way. Well, why should God invite everybody he knows to his party? He can invite whoever he wants. And he knows our hearts. And he's perfect and he's holy and he's just and he's loving and he's good. So he's not going to do anything crazy. Let him make the choice. And I'm good with that. And I think on our end, we just uh, need to trust in him by faith. How do we know? How do we know we're getting there? If I've given my life to God by faith, if I have come into a personal relationship with him, if my life is changing and I find myself wanting to read my Bible and pray and tell others about him and grow in relationships with people, and it may ebb and flow some, I'm in relationship with him. He chose me. That's where we start. We can only be responsible for ourselves and let him take care of the rest. But let's understand this. This is an important thing. We started off with it today. God is on his throne. God is in control. This is not about me. This is about him. He is God Almighty. And we need to keep that in focus. Now, I want to talk about some applications today. One is thinking about tomorrow. Do you think a lot about tomorrow? Do you find yourself in reverie about the future? I raise my hand. I do that too much sometimes. But there's one time when it's good to focus a lot on the future, when we're thinking about the distant future, when we're thinking about heaven. That can bring great comfort and encouragement to us when you think about what that's going to look like, what that's going to feel like. When you read through those last two chapters of the, the Bible, we did that in our Bible study just last week um, with some guys I'm, I'm meeting with, um, and we had a good time reading through that. And, and it just always gets you. You think, man, this is going to be incredible what God is going to do. It's also helpful to use this as a tool to contrast. Do you ever contrast your present-day concerns with the future yeah. in heaven? It's very comforting. Yes. So, for example, I look at, at the things and I say, this body of mine is it's getting older. I was, I was just contacting a friend of mine. I was just writing to this old, my best friend from seminary. We were interacting on this in, uh, email just the other day. Our bodies are getting older, right? As we're entering this, the, the so-called golden air age, we're, we're getting older and it's starting to fall apart a little bit. But then I can stop and think, what will my body be like in heaven? I feel pretty good now. That brings me comfort and encouragement. Um, say, well, we talked about this last week. I don't have enough money to get a, a house yet. You're going to have a mansion in heaven. Don't worry too much about it. I'm really having trouble controlling the, the struggles in my life. You know, I just, the temptations, don't worry, they'll be gone in heaven. See what I'm saying? I, I don't feel like I have, you know, the job I want. Don't worry, in heaven you're going to be a prince or princess. 
God's got all these things. And so stop and think about that. Next time you're having your trouble, you can apply it to almost any situation you have. I'm having trouble with my relations with my family. Don't worry. God has a perfect family waiting for you in heaven. Struggle with my dad. Don't worry. Your eternal father is perfect. There's nothing you can say. Any problem that you have on earth, think about what it's going to be like in heaven. And it'll bring you great comfort. It's a great tool to hang on to. The second thing is that everything is working out, certainly according to God's plan. You can look at your life, look at your first girlfriend, look at whatever it takes and say, wow, how did God get me to where I am? I can see now what his plan was. But the key is for us is found in uh, Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in Yahweh and he will give you the desire of your heart. Which is to say that when you align your heart with his, when you pray according to his will, then your prayers will be answered because you're praying the way he wants you to pray. And so I just encourage you to confess your sins and seek his will, um, know what it is. And a lot of times it's really plain because the Bible will tell you what to do. And sometimes you need counsel from others. But ultimately the Holy Spirit will help you as you pray that God will show you what your will should be. Um, and pray the best you can. And it will give you confidence sometimes that surprises you. <laughs> I started dating my wife, um, we were 20 and 18, and around that same time, a guy that was mentoring me, he had a little, little daughter who was probably about three, maybe four. She was darling. Blonde hair, big, big blue eyes, Christy. And so Carrie and I loved Christy. So we, I remember taking her to her first circus. We each had her hand, walked her into the circus. It was really cute. She grew up, fine young lady. We saw her. She lives in Colorado now. We went out there and visited her family, and she was there. She's just this cute little spunky gal. Gives us a hug. Always calls me Ronnie, you know, as I used to be called in college by some of my friends. And just a cute little gal. So our hearts were broken when last month uh, my friend told me that uh, Christy, who's now 41. God, that's hard. But but anyway, Christy um, was diagnosed with uh, breast cancer and uh, ended up opting for a, a double mastectomy. And we were very upset. And so I talked to my friend, Don, and, and I said, how's it going? He told me, he said, man, it was so hard. I called her the night before, trying to keep it together and tell her, it's, it's going to be okay, you're going to get through this. But he said, this is, this is what she did. He said, she took control of that conversation. And she said this, she said, don't worry, Dad. My faith is strong. God has this thing. In fact, in a strange sort of way, I'm actually looking forward to tomorrow. She did great. Uh, she didn't even need any chemotherapy or radiation. She's doing fine. Um, but, but Don went on to say that she was a witness there because that's the same hospital she works at as a nurse. And they were all waiting on her. They all adored her. And it was an opportunity for her to be a witness. God, in his purpose, used that situation. And he gave her, and it's hard to sustain that, but he gave her the strength that she needed for that moment. God will do that in our lives as we trust in him. And we, we surrender to his purpose so that even though she certainly would say, that's not my purpose, she surrendered to God's purpose. And God used it for good in her life and got her through that time. On the road to glorification, I can't understand how I, I pray to God and I can, I, by faith, enter into a relationship with him and, and then I find out that he chose me. I don't understand that stuff. But I do know that you can understand that if you haven't given your life to Christ, then you haven't been chosen. 
And so I would encourage you right now um, to search your heart. Do you admit that, Jesus, that you're a sinner in need of a Savior? Do you believe Jesus died on the cross for your sin and rose again? If you have yet to, if you believe those things and you have yet to surrender your life to him by faith, then don't leave today before you do that. Uh, it may be that God has you here today at this time when there's so much heightened concern in this world just for you to hear that message, even if you've heard it before, to hear it again, that you might make a decision to give your life to Christ. And if you do know Jesus Christ, how about those people around you who don't, who have not given their life to him by faith? Who are the 8 to 15 people in your life that are unchurched, unsaved people, whom you can tell about Jesus Christ this week. Years ago, we visited a large church comprised. It was really interesting. This is a large church, big church. I don't know, maybe been, there were about at least 500 people in the one service. And they were all elderly. They were all averaging around 70 years of age. That was really unusual. Um, and so then they started singing this song about soon we're going to go to heaven. And my daughter Connie was about 11 or 12. She leaned over and she said, this is a good song for these people because they're going to be there pretty soon. And I could hardly keep from laughing right in the middle of the, the service, you know. Um, but later I heard uh, the song. Um, later there's a song that was, I think, based off of that old hymn called Soon. And it's brought me a lot of comfort through the years. Um, we're going to play it in just a little bit here, but I want to read it to you because songs are really poetry, Right? And I want you to just think about the words, and then we'll sing through, and you can and you think through what it's saying. I think it's a good summary of what we've been talking about today. Uh, the writer, how do you say her name? Is it Likertwood? Do you know? Likertwood? Likertwood, okay. Brooke Likertwood. These are the words. Soon and very soon, my king is coming, robed in righteousness and crowned with love. When I see him, I will be made like him soon and very soon. Soon and very soon I'll be going to the place he has prepared for me. There my sin erased, my shame forgotten. Soon and very soon. Soon and very soon see the procession, the angels and the elders round the throne. At his feet, I'll lay my crowns, my worship, soon and very soon. Though I've not seen him, my heart knows him well. Jesus Christ, the Lamb, the Lord of heaven. I will be with the one I love. With unveiled face, I'll see him. There my soul will be satisfied. Soon and very soon. Soon and very soon. Soon and very soon. Let's pray. Father, we look forward to that day when we'll be with you and all these problems will be gone. Seems like forever, but it will happen soon and very soon. Amen.